I want to talk to you about the power of one, the power of one. We've been in a series called Together for Grace in Philippians chapter 1. We're just working through the text verse by verse, line by line, word by word. And actually, there's some really rich words in here. Today is a tremendously powerful message on the humility of Jesus, just what he did for us in humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So the power of one. You know, in chapter one, we talked about the power of one life. Today, we're talking about the power of one attitude. You know, attitude, the word, it says, let this mind, look at the text in here, verse five. It says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So let this mind or let this attitude. So when you have the power of one life in chapter one, which is Christ is my life. And where do you say you get that? Well, verse 21 is the theme verse. For to me to live is not to be a staff member. For to me to live is not to be a member of Sagemont Church. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. My identity is in one life. That's who I live for, the one who died for me, who died a death that he didn't have to, and I should have, but he did. So when I trust him as my Savior, then that one life lives in me, the power of one life in chapter one, the power of one attitude. What is this one attitude that Christ demonstrated for us? The power of one attitude. That's what he's talking about here. Let this mind, verse 5, be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So you have the life of Christ. Now you have the attitude of Christ. Could I ask you how your attitude was this last week? Was it vengeful? Was it jealous? Was it a getting attitude? Did you get for yourself this week because of the attitude that is in you, in your flesh? Or was it a giving attitude? The attitude of Christ is one not of getting or receiving. It's one of giving. Our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus because he was a giver. I'm going to confess to you, I had a really bad attitude. I still have a bad attitude today because the Tennessee Titans, I'm a fan now because the Texans, I mean, I was going to be. I was good there. That's a whole nother message. Um, But anyway... I had a bad attitude week one because they were playing the Patriots. And I said, you know what? They, they'll never beat Tom Brady. It'll never happen. So I was actually using a very negative attitude, hoping for a positive outcome. And so they surprised me. With my bad attitude came a positive victory. And then week two, I said, there's no way. The Patriot, the Ravens, there's no way. Lamar Jackson, he cannot be contained. And so my bad attitude, once again, they surprised me with a positive victory. But what, and, and I'm going for another negative attitude tonight at two o'clock uh, at, with the Kansas City Chiefs because I'm thinking my bad attitude, it's, I've been on a roll here. So, what I want to do is allow that bad attitude just to fuse into today, and then hopefully we can have another positive outcome. And you know, that's a lot of times what we do. We have a negative attitude, and then we want a positive outcome. But listen very carefully the Bible says, let this attitude be in you. Well, who's in me? Christ is in me. So the attitude that's in me is never negative. Christ is never negative, and he's never insecure. So if I'm going to let the attitude of Christ be in me, then I must be secure in who I am in him, and I must display his attitude in and through my mind. So the word mind here, the word attitude, means to have a mindset. It's to have an opinion and to let those opinions in your mind be set in concrete based on the Word of God. So Paul's talking about, in verse 5, 
5, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Well, it's an attitude of giving, not getting. It's an attitude of releasing. That's what he did. So the text talks about this, and it's a beautiful thing here. So it says here that, let's look at the attitude of Christ in verse 6, who being in the form of God. So if you're going to be in the form of God, it's, or your translation may say existed in the form of God. If you exist in the form of God, for Christ to be in the form of God, he would have to be God. Listen carefully. Write it down. Jesus Christ is God. He is God. Not only is he Lord, not only is he Savior, but he is God. Let this attitude be in you, positive, because Christ is, which is in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he existed in the form of God. For him to be in the form of God, he would have to be God. And then it says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. So the idea is that God can't steal from himself. That's what the word robbery means. You know, someone say, the, the idea of the word grasping. So Jesus did not have to grasp a hold of God because he had the title of God. You cannot steal from yourself. Jesus Christ is God. And so when I think about the attitude that I need to have in my life and you need to have in your life, it all boils down to, are you as secure as Jesus is secure? He was secure in who he was. He knew who he was. Jesus Christ was God. He was equal with the Father. The Father is God and Jesus is God. So if I'm going to have this mind in me that was also in Christ Jesus, I've got to be as secure as God is secure. So my security can't be in people and things. My security has got to be wrapped around a relationship with who God is. So my identity has to be in my security, and my security has to be rooted in the form of God, which is Jesus Christ. He would have to be God in order to grasp a hold of something because he didn't have to steal the title of God. He was. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. Look at the text. Who being, who existed in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God. Do you remember geometry where we had these uh, isosceles triangle? When you have, I remember that my teacher's probably in here somewhere from geometry. I took it three times in high school, three times. I'm still bitter. But when you lay an isosceles triangle, uh, the two sides are equal. So if this, this angle is the same as this angle. So Jesus is the exact replicate or duplicate of God. He is not a counterfeit. So when you lay Jesus aside God, they're equal. Jesus is God. He is the exact sameness of God. So if I'm going to have the attitude of Christ in me and God's attitude working through me, then I have to know that I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I am secure in him. Here's what you want to understand. A lot of people find their security in other people. That's why they live on a performance treadmill. Listen very carefully. Some of you are on a performance treadmill. You're trying to please people and do things for people in order that they may give you words of affirmation so that you might feel like your security lies in those affirming words to you. You've got it all wrong. Jesus Christ, who is our example, Jesus Christ knew exactly who he was. And because he knew exactly who he was, I can know exactly 
who I am in him because this mindset that I have is in him and it's opinions that have been put into concrete. So the idea is I am who God tells me that I am and I do not have to perform for anybody. I don't teach in order to get affirming words from you so that my identity can rise up. Always know that people who struggle with their identity will always use their position and their power to manipulate people. Let me say it again. People who don't know who they are in Christ will always use their position and their power to manipulate people because they're always trying to find out what their attitude is. And let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. So if I am secure in who Jesus is, then I am secure in my attitude. And here's what's important. Insecure people are very, very tired people. They're tired. They're tired because they're looking for, you may be married to someone who you're trying to get affirmation from your mate for you to find out your identity. You've got it all wrong. Your identity is not found in people. It's found in your God because let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who existed in the form of God. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He was the exact sameness of God, the triangle, the isosceles of God. He was the exact sameness of God. So if Jesus can know who he is, guess what? I can know who I am. I can know who I am. I think you know this. I played football at Dobie for four years. And let me tell you, I hated every minute of it. Seriously. I had scholarships coming in. I'm not bragging. I wrote a book called Humility and How I Achieved It. Never mind. <laughs> the first, the 930 crowd got that. Come on, help me now. Help me. So here's what I did. Listen, this is important. Some of you are right here. You're, you're, you're in verses five and six. You're trying to grab a hold of something rather than having a giving attitude, you have a getting attitude. And rather than grasping on to Jesus who has security, you're grasping on to people and things to try to give you what they can never give you. And if you could just realize you can play football for four years like I did and hate it, and the reason that you have a helmet and a jersey and pads is because you get your identity on Friday night at Pasadena Memorial Stadium because every Everybody will give you strokes and you'll run through the line and everybody will cheer for you. But when, listen, when the game is over and you lay your head on the pillow at night, you've got to come to a position where you say, I've got to have something more than this. I want to know who Jesus says that I am. Forget the football. I'm not created to play football. I'm created in the image of Christ to be who God made me to be. I am not supposed to be like anybody else. I'm not supposed to be like any other pastor. I'm not supposed to preach like anybody else. I am supposed to be exactly who God has made me to be. And I want to tell you, I am very secure in that. I am very secure in that. Years ago, I would preach so that people in another church would tell me things and then I could go take a nap because I had been affirmed. No, actually I had been deceived because I was looking to them to give me what only God could give me. And Paul says in verse five and six that Jesus knew who he was. And if Jesus knew who he was, then I can know who I am in him. So the attitude that we have in our lives is one that is always positive. It's not a negative that becomes a positive. It's Christ in me, his attitude in 
into his mind. So as I yield to the word, as I yield to his life in me, he begins to produce an attitude of grace and mercy, and he extends my life into other people's lives, and he extends blessing into other people's lives, all because the attitude of Christ is working through me. Paul says, let the attitude of Jesus be in you. That's what he says. And Jesus knew who he was, verse 6. He was equal with God. He was God. So he had the title of God. You know, when we lived out in the country in Tennessee, I didn't know it, but we had a septic tank. And all of a sudden, one day, our, everything, every time you flushed, man, upstairs, downstairs, all toilets overflowed. And I called the only plumber I knew, and I said, we, we got a problem. I told my wife, hold it. Do not go. Stop. We're going to the neighbor's house. We're not making another flush. He comes over. He says, where is your septic tank? I said, what? I don't have a septic. He says, you have a septic tank. It is buried underneath the ground. I said, well, then you find it. And so he took this rod with a spike on the end of it, and he was doing this in the ground, and he continued to do this. And finally, he hit the tank. And he said, there it is. And he said, I'm going to have to dig up around it. And he said, listen, I want to tell you something. When I dig up around it, I'm going to take the cap off the septic tank and you want to be inside when I do that. He said, because it's going to stink and it's going to be terrible. And so the idea was he actually did that. He said, you've got a problem. Your tank is full. It's full of human waste. You're going to have to call another guy because he's going to hook a hose and he's going to pump all that bad stuff out and he's going to put it in his tank so that this can operate and function like it's supposed to be. And I was thinking about in our attitudes, when we have this attitude of Christ in us, it is an attitude that speaks fragrant aroma to people and it speaks blessing to people. But when our attitude stinks, we need that stinking attitude pumped out of our life and that flesh pumped out of our life and that vengeful, jealous attitude that our flesh can produce. We need to get that pumped up and out of, we might be filled with Christ. Let this mind be in you. Now don't take this lightly because this attitude is going to take Jesus all the way to the cross. This kind of attitude. See, an attitude is one of giving with Jesus, not one of getting. Not how can it help me and how can it benefit me. But I am equal with God. And because I am equal with God, I don't have to grab a hold of God. I am God. I cannot steal from myself. Let that be in you. Freeman Tomlin, be secure in who you are. Your identity is in me. Verse 7. What's the attitude of Christ? But he made himself of no reputation. Your translations say he made himself of, he emptied himself. They say he emptied himself, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant, a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man. So the idea would be he emptied himself. Well, what did Jesus empty himself of? He did not empty himself of his deity. He was secure in who he was, but he emptied himself of the expression of his deity, not the possession of his deity, but the expression of his deity. He was totally, fully God, and he let go of his rights as God in order to be obedient and be a servant, and he emptied himself. And that's the reality. When you want to have an attitude of Christ, you have to empty yourself of yourself so that Christ's attitude can be filled in your mind and in your heart. And you and I have to be willing to lay aside our rights so that we can serve others. That's chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. So that's what the Bible says here. He emptied himself and made himself of no reputation. Look at this. Taking on the form 
of a bondservant. Jesus Christ was not only secure in who he was, but he stooped down to heal a broken relationship between God and man. That's how secure he was. That's how much of a positive attitude he was. He stooped down. He made himself empty. He emptied himself, not of the possession of deity, but the expression of deity. That's what he did. So he became a bondservant. He became a slave. A slave is one that is an involuntary slave. And so Jesus became involuntarily volunteered for us. He voluntarily chose to die for us. He voluntarily came to take up the form of a bond servant. He didn't have to do what he had to do, but he chose to do what he had to do. So I can choose to have an attitude of Christ in me, or I can choose to do what I want to do. But if I'm going to use Jesus as my example, he took up the form of a bond servant. So his possession of deity never changed, but his expression did change. He took, he took, the Bible says, took up the servant. Look at the text taking the form of a bondservant. He took the form of a bondservant, but he didn't subtract Godhood out of his life. Listen carefully. He did not cease to become God. He was already God. It was a title of him. So he didn't subtract being God and then take this up. He took up the form of a bondservant and he still was God. Do you understand that? It's not subtraction, it's addition. That's what he did here. He came. He made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bond servant. Are you willing to take the form of a bond servant? Are you willing to serve? You know, we have to, at Sagemont, any other church, we have to beg people to serve. Would you please serve? There's 10 kids. They have no teacher. We'll show you a picture. Here's 10 empty chairs. Now, somebody raise their hand and go serve. No, no. No, no. That's how you get the wrong people serving. Let me tell you how you get the right people serving. People that have the mindset of a bond servant, who take on the form of a servant, who are willing to don the towel, who are willing to bless people, who are willing to empty themselves of themselves so that Christ may fill them up to the full. Those are the people that you want teaching the 10 kids that are sitting in the chairs. You don't want to just fill a slot. You want to fill a slot with somebody who's full of God. You never respond to servanthood by guilt. You respond to servanthood by grace. God calls you. God calls you to serve. Listen, what's so beautiful about Sagemont is all of us are servants. Who is the greatest single servant of all time? It's Jesus. Where does he live? In me. What kind of attitude do I have? The attitude that's in Christ is now in me. So when the attitude of Christ is in me, then service becomes an outflow of the inflow of Christ being in my life. I can't help but serve. I can't help but bless others. I can't help but be an extension of his grace because I have received him. Now he is releasing his life through me and through you. We all serve and if we serve with a selfish agenda, it will always be about us. And insecure people are always tooting their own horn. Look at me. Look at me. If someone has humility, it will always point to Christ. It will always point to Christ. Their service will point to Christ. And so the idea was Jesus, who was God, took on. So he has the inward possession and nature of God. So the form of God means he can't change on the inside. He is God. But Jesus took up the rights of a bondservant. And so this inward nature was expressed outwardly when he took up the 
form of a bondservant. You remember in the upper room, there was no servant, and Jesus donned the towel. He had just told his disciples he was going to die. They didn't believe him. They didn't listen. And so he donned the towel, and he began to bless people. And he blessed all the people. He began to wash feet. If you remember, he blessed people because that's what he does. He's a servant. That's what we do. We're servants. Now watch this. He even blessed people that betrayed him. Judas, he blessed Judas and and Judas betrayed him. One of the high callings of servanthood is you and I have to learn to bless people who will betray us. Some of you have stopped serving because you're bitter. Some of you have stopped serving because you're mad, because someone betrayed you. Listen to me. We are called to bless people who are going to betray us because the very gift of forgiveness that God gives is the betrayal of sin that happened in the garden because Jesus went to the cross to pay for our sins. So the very gift of forgiveness, it not only heals the one who betrayed someone, it heals the one whose heart was betrayed. And so we continue to take on the form of a bondservant. We continue to serve and we continue to bless people, and we bless people who've even betrayed us. Some of you have stopped serving because you're mad. Somebody hurt you. Jesus didn't hurt you. God didn't hurt you, but somebody hurt you. Would you consider picking up the towel of servanthood and bless people that will betray you? Do you remember the story when Jesus was going to the cross? Let's talk about this servanthood a little more. He took on the form of a bond servant. Remember when Jesus was going to the cross? And Peter said, Lord, should we stop everybody? We'll strike them with a sword. So he takes the sword out. He was striking for the guy's head. The guy ducked, got his ear. You remember that? Jesus took the ear, put it back on, said, Peter, get out of my way. I'm going to the cross. I'm going to serve people. I'm going to humble myself. Nothing is going to stop me. And here's what happened. Jesus Christ, who had the very power to get rid of all those people that were in his way going to the cross, he chose not to use the power that he had. Listen to me. He was God. Sometimes when you've been hurt and betrayed in ministry or in a church, God will give you the opportunity to use the very power that God's given you to hurt somebody back and to vengefully come after somebody. But listen, we have to take the pattern of Jesus and the servanthood of Jesus and say, wait a minute, let God take care of that. Let God take out revenge on people. I'm just here to serve people. And so God may give you the very ability to use your power to sign something that would cause somebody's life to end in a way. But guess what? When you're a bond servant, you take up the towel of servanthood. You begin to bless people who betrayed you. You don't use the very power that you have to do something that you could do. You choose to yield to the spirit. You choose to have the attitude of Christ. You choose to have the servanthood of Christ. And you don't use the very power that God gave you. You use your power just like Jesus did. Jesus had all power and yet he humbled himself. We humble ourselves. We humble ourselves before God. We humble ourselves before other people. So the idea is in verse 7 that he made himself of no reputation, emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant without subtracting his godhood and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. Look at this. He humbled himself. Jesus was secure in who he was. Watch this. He was God. How can God humble himself? Because God's trying to show us a picture of what it means to be a servant. Jesus was God and Jesus humbled himself to God. 
The Father and the Son were totally equal. Jesus willingly humbled himself, willingly volunteered to die, willingly served. We need people at Sagemont who willingly serve. Willingly serve. Willingly give their lives away. Willingly say, I have no agenda. I just want to be all that God has called me to be. So I heard this story, and it's, I, I won't say the person's name, but the man is still pastoring. He's a, he's a great man in the pulpit. He's written a, a lot of books. And one day, a long time ago, he had a broken relationship with his wife. And he made a statement that I'm not going to step down and stoop down to heal a broken relationship with my wife because God called me to preach before he called me to be married. So a great man of God sent him a letter and said, you are wrong. You need to stoop down and you need to serve your wife and you need to heal this broken relationship. It is a priority. And he said, thank you, but no thank you. He had a problem with pride. Humility. When you humble yourself, as the text says, the word humble means to be brought low. So we humble ourselves, the text says, to God himself. So the air that you're breathing in your lungs right now is not your air. When you speak to somebody today, that's not your voice, that's God's voice. When you do anything, the car that you drive, the house that you live in, everything has been given to you by God. And God says you humble yourself. You don't put yourself on a pedestal and think that you own anything and you have anything and you control anything because the reality is some of you in this room have been abused, you've been taken advantage of, you've been hurt and you said, I'm going to take the charge now. I'm the one, if anything's going to be exploited, I'm going to take the initiative because something happened to me. We don't live our lives taking, we live our lives giving and we give our hurt and we give our pain and we give our confusion over to him and he puts his attitude in us and then he begins to serve through us and then gets what? When we serve, he humbles us. And he says, you can't serve in your own strength. I can do it better than you can do it. That's what Jesus is saying here. That's what he's saying. Don't miss this. He humbled himself. God himself humbled himself. And I can't humble myself. Listen, if, if you are filled with pride and cannot humble yourself, today would be a good day for you to learn what it means to bow before him. To bow before him and say, God, I am so filled with pride. I am so filled with myself. I am so insecure that everything revolves around me. And God would help us today to humble ourselves and realize that everything that we have, we have stored up and it's from him. And we are just using it on borrowed time. We don't know how long we have it. But God in his wisdom and his grace and his transcendence and his omnipresence and his omnipotent power, he has given us grace gifts in this life to be able to function in the way that we can function, but we have just stored up what is his, and that's why we humble ourselves before God. We humble ourselves. I want to be a humble pastor. I want to teach to a humble church that realizes it's all about God. It's all about grace, and it's all about mercy. Now, notice the text. He humbled himself and became obedient. Circle the word obedient. It means to fully obey. It means to attentively listen. He was obedient to the point of death. So the idea would be this, that Jesus was willing as God 
to know who he was. He was secure in who he was. He stooped down to heal a broken relationship. And he humbled himself and was, look, obedient. He fully carried out God's plan for his life. And he was God. Do you get that? He was God. God submitted to God so he could show us how we could serve and how he could pay the price that we could never pay. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me tell you where it happened. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus called some of his close friends who weren't his true identity. See, some of us want to bring people into our life for a prayer meeting that don't want to come into the prayer meeting. Have you ever brought people into a prayer meeting who don't want to pray with you? Well, Jesus brought his friends into the prayer meeting. He called the prayer meeting and he said, pray with me. Sleep on, brother. That's what they did. He said, pray with me. But watch this. Jesus called a prayer meeting and then he left the prayer meeting. Don't miss this. Jesus called the prayer meeting and left the prayer meeting. Why? Because he was going to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And his friends were not going to give him support to go to the cross, but they were secondary support to him, not primary support. His primary support came from the Father. So Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, became obedient to the Father's will and willingly volunteered to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. He called a prayer meeting, brought people in as secondary support, but got along with God that was primary support, and he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Some of you are lying next to people in bed. You're married, and a person next to you doesn't know what you're going through. And it's kind of like Jesus. He draws them into the prayer meeting. They have no idea what he's going through. He's told them. He said, I'm going to the cross. I want to be obedient to the point of death. So he calls a prayer meeting. Jesus leaves the prayer meeting. And listen, Gethsemane is the gift of loneliness to each one of us in this room who find our security in people rather than our security in God. God is trying to get us to pull away from the crowd where we get significance from and go to him who all significance flows from. And so when God affirms me and God tells me how secure I am in him, I don't need people to tell me I know that God has told me and I can be obedient in any area of my life once I know who I am in Jesus because it's all about him and it's not about me. Everything else was about me. It was all about what I used to do, how I used to do this and how I could get here and how I could use people. Insecure people use people to get them to where they need to go. But secure people know who they are in Jesus and they can be obedient. Jesus was obedient to the point of death. Look at the text even death on a cross. A lot of people died. And these pictures of Jesus on the cross where he has this loin cloth on him and he's crucified on the cross, that's not accurate. I want you to understand something. Jesus Christ was crucified naked. He was hung before the whole world, crucified a cruel death, a punishing death, a piercing death. He was crucified naked before the whole world so that everybody could see him. He was crucified. They were mocking him. They were spitting on him. But because Jesus knew who he was, Jesus was secure in who he was. He stooped down to heal a broken relationship. Something amazing was happening as Jesus was hanging on that cross naked before the whole world to the point of death, even death on the cross. God was putting all my sin and your sin, all of it was being put on Jesus so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and paid for. Something miraculous was happening. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Think about that. And the only way you can do that is if you humble yourself. Jesus Christ was a humble Savior. He was humble. I want us to be humble. I want us as a church, I want my life, I want my life to reflect Jesus. I want to be able to stoop down and serve people with no agenda other than to honor Jesus who donned the towel and blessed people who betrayed him. You and I need to really hear this word humility today and we really need to stoop low and we really need to be willing to do whatever it takes to bless people and be an extension of his love, to be a voluntary servant to people who need to be served because the attitude of Christ is in me because I'm secure in him and I'm not using people to get me somewhere because I'm already where I'm supposed to be in Jesus. That's what's important. Some of you could rest today and go take a nap before the chiefs lose to the Titans. If you just knew who you were in Christ, seriously, you could. Some of you wrestle at night. You don't sleep. You're on all kinds of medicine, nothing against medicine. God, doctors, listen, that is not my point. Some of you, though, the issue is a heart issue. And if you could wrap your arms around the security you have in Jesus and all that he's done for you, you could be set free. And I'll close with this. Here we go. To the end. Verse 9. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Watch this. Because Jesus knew who he was. He was secure. He stooped down to heal a broken relationship between God and man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The text says God validated all that Jesus did. God put his stamp of approval and said, because Jesus shouldered all the sin of all the people in the whole world, everybody that would be born, Jesus took care of that on the cross on a one-time payment. He says, now God says, here's what I'm going to do, because God is God, and Jesus is God, and if Jesus is going to give glory to God, he can't be vying for position to say, oh, I've got one up on you, you've got one up on me. No, they were equal. And it says this, God highly exalted him validated him, put him high above. Only Jesus is to be worshiped. Only Jesus is to be praised. And he's given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Then he explains it. Of those in heaven, who's that? That's the righteous dead. Those who have been absent from the body and who have been present with the Lord. Those who have died, whose bodies are buried in the grave, who are awaiting the rapture of the church and the second coming of our Lord. Those people who are the righteous dead, they're already in heaven. They're already alive. They are waiting for their body to be connected with their spirit and so shall we be with the Lord forever. First Thessalonians, that's what he's talking about. They will bow. Then he says this, and those on the earth people living on the earth will bow. Even those of you with artificial knees, you'll bow. You'll bow. I don't know how it's going to work, but you'll bow. And then it says, and those under the earth, these are the unrighteous dead. These are people who have died without Christ. These are the unrighteous dead that go to a place called Hades. And then one day they're still going to bow, but then they'll be separated. They'll spend eternity separated from God because they rejected God. So you've got the righteous dead. You've got those on the earth. You've got the unrighteous dead. And notice what he says here. 
and that every tongue, tongue, whether you speak English, whether you speak Spanish, your tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Don't miss it. Jesus Christ is not only Savior, He's not only God, He's Lord, and you will bow. I will bow before Him. And it says that Jesus, who is God, is going to turn around and give God all the glory because He humbled Himself. It sounds like Jesus kind of owns the place. It sounds like he's walking around like he's in control. He is sovereignly in control of everything. He owns this world. He owns you. He owns everything about you. He knows everything about you. He is absolutely, totally Lord to the glory of the Father. Let me close and see if I can make this illustration. The other day I was at my doctor's office and they gave me a ticket when I left the office. Well, excuse me. When I pull into the parking lot, there's an arm that says you can't park here unless you pull a ticket over here. So I hit the button, pull a ticket. The ticket says I owe money. So I stick the ticket in my pocket, kind of like an offering. Stick the ticket in my pocket, and I go up and they do this little surgery on me. Then I go to pay and she says, you haven't met your deductible. Did you know that? I said, yes, ma'am, I know that. How much do I owe? Well, here's what I owe, okay. Then she gives me a second ticket. She said, and she writes a big two on it. And she said, the first ticket, when you leave the parking lot, you stick the first ticket in the slot and it'll tell you how much you owe. But because you have a second ticket in your pocket, you put that second ticket in after the first ticket and the arm will go up and will release you and you're free to go. I thought, okay, there's my illustration. Watch this. We have a sin debt that needs to be paid and we should have to pay that ticket. We should have to pay that sin debt. But here's the good news. We don't have to, because he did. I don't have to pay the ticket. So I can put the ticket in and say, oh, yes, I have sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I know that. I owe a whole lot to God. I owe a debt that I could not pay. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. So what I need to do is make sure that I stick a ticket in after the ticket that says how much I owe. And when I stick that ticket in, number two ticket, it releases everything and says, you're free. Go on through. The arm raises up. And that's what happens with forgiveness. When you trust Christ as your Savior, God validates all that Jesus Jesus has done in Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 through 11 and says, my son is the only one that can get you through that door, is the only one that can lift that arm, is the only one that can forgive your sins. So that's the beautiful thing about servanthood. He's the only one that can do it. He did everything and God validated Jesus and said, Jesus, you'll be exalted forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. There's an old hymn. It says something like this, Jesus be Jesus and me, no longer me, but thee. Resurrection power, fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. That's Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this attitude be in you. How do you get the attitude? Get Jesus on the inside. How do you serve? Get the greatest servant who ever lived to live inside of you. How do you serve effectively? You serve in a humility. You serve in humility of life and mind and attitude. And then because you do that, because Christ does, has done everything for you and you receive the payment of sin on the cross, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so he died for me. He died for me so I can now live for him. But I've got to receive the validation of the payment on the 
cross. By faith, I receive him. And because I've received him by faith, I can then have the arm of sin lifted up and I can go through and I can enter in to the presence of the Lord and the power of the Lord and the forgiveness of the Lord because he did it all. How can I ever walk unless it's in humility? Humility. 